The Hold Fast Social Club presents So You're Kinda a Big Deal with your hosts, Sean Headley and Dave Welcome to So You're Kinda a Big Deal, a weekly podcast deep diving into the lives of emerging and established tattoo artists. Listen in as we dig into origin stories, industry hot topics, and what it takes to survive in the world of tattooing. This is Tattoo Shop Talk. It's funny, it's crass, inspiring, and sometimes we get it right. Join your hosts, Sean Headley and Dave Allen, every week as we host a new guest. Hey, I'm Dave Allen. I brought you a Hold Fast Stay Gold docuseries, and I've got a new service. It's called the Hold Fast Social Club, and it's basically a matchmaking service for tattoo studios and tattoo artists. As artists, we used to have these tight little networks where we could rely on to find new places to work, guest spot. As the industry's exploded, all these networks have been fractured. And there's people in your own town you don't even know. There's shop owners you've never met before. Wouldn't it be nice if there was some kind of service that would vet the shops, that would take your needs seriously and match them against the tattoo studio's needs as well, so that you're gonna have the highest rate of success with these matches. You can meet and work in studios as guests or as a full-time gig with people you never would have had access to before. That's what the Hold Fast Social Club aims to do. Yeah, he's so nervous. He's such a clown. He sent me, he needed to do like a test run and everything, so. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh my fuck. god! I can't even remember interviewing him for the docu series, but he gave up the best line ever for that thing about. Uh, you said that, and as soon as he said it, I was like, "Oh, yeah, there it is." Yeah, yeah. he's it's fucking classic. Like he's just got that that intensity about him, you know. Yeah, you know. Yeah. I, so. Tamlin was w- wondering who I, we were interviewing, and I said, "Oh, it's this, it's this guy Doug," and uh, she's like, "Oh, do you like him?" I'm like, "Oh yeah, I love him. He's great." And I said, you know, I think he might be the only polymath I know of in tattooing. You know, not an intellectual polymath, but someone who's, he's been like high level at so many different things, you know, right? Like, yeah, it's crazy. Well, when Shauna met him, he came up to Edmonton and we went to see, uh, I believe it was Dane Cook live comedy. And uh, was that like his last show ever? Pretty much. Yeah. (laughs) And uh and I remember Shauna saying afterwards, like, is, is he manic? And I'm like, if he is, he hasn't had a down yet. <laughs> no shit. He's, he's not bipolar. He's just polar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want, I want whatever he's eating. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh man. Yeah. I met that guy five times, literally like five times before he realized that he had met me, right? And it's like, dude, I'm in your shop. And it's just like, oh, yeah, yeah. It's so funny. Like, when he used to leave the shop, I was like, what the fuck? Because he would just leave work, right? He'd just be gone. And then finally, one day, I said something. And he was like, bro, he's like, there's like 10 of you. I started saying goodbye to everybody. It's like a convention. I never get out of there. I was like, oh, that's that's actually a very good point, because that's very yeah. true. So, you know, and then once I started hanging out with him more and stuff like that and getting to know him a lot more, it was just, yeah, uh, yeah just 
what a gem of a guy, man. And his wife too. Like just amazing, amazing, amazing. Very exciting. I'm getting fucking text bomb here from from him. Looks like he's got a bottle of whiskey. Oh, that's you. <laughs> yeah, that's me. Glenn Farkless. Yeah. This actually uh this was actually a gift from Lucas. So I've oh, actually nice. had this since my Ada house. Cheers, Lucas. Oh. Uh ah. I still actually have some of this left. Oh, um, that's a great bottle. Yeah. Yeah, we sat at my table and drank some of that uh, one year when he was up. I've drank that around at many a campfire f- fishing up uh, up north. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good yeah. ball. It was a, I just opened my wife just earlier. Shauna was just like, oh, I, I put all your scotch in that back room if you're okay with that. It's just in the box. I was like, oh, yeah. And then Doug said I made a drink. I was like, oh, <laughs> I haven't had this. This box has been sealed since uh, I sold the Ada house. So oh, this shit. box has been all my scotch and everything else has all been sealed for the last couple of years. So it was like, oh, what am I going to have? Lagavulin. I have a little bit of Scapa Original 16 left. Oh, nice. And I, then I saw this and I was like, oh, I got it. Yeah. Oh, fuck. So before we oh, get too dirty on the scotch, I was pretty disappointed when, when Scapa switched their uh, <laughs> mix. So, yeah. But, Should we let this guy in or what? Oh, hell yeah. All right. Bam! Oh, Look at that. Check, check. <laughs> Microphone check, check. We're recording. Okay. You're on. We've been talking about you for the last half hour. You guys look... Oh, my God. You guys look <laughs> glitched <laughs> out. It's sweet. Yeah. It's it, better once it's up. But, uh, yeah, look at you, Michael Douglas, falling down. <laughs> hey, man. I fell down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> Oh, man. Are you at home? Yeah, I tried to set up a little zone, so it might sound weird in here. It's kind of echoey. It's like my music zone plant area. Nice. Yeah, oh, that's the same. I just raced home from the shop. I had everything at the shop, and I just raced home and just threw it all together. I'm like, in the corner of my new basement, my Wi-Fi was just set up this morning. So. <laughs> yeah, I figured if I went to jujitsu, something might happen, and then this would be chaos. Yeah, I missed ah. jujitsu this morning. Did you? Was James there floundering by himself without you? No, he he's tattooed uh, Kushni today, and then they were going to work on a painting. Oh, nice, nice. God cool. damn it! I got to show the world that. What the fuck is that? The cork just oh, broke right off. You're a fucking Perfect. No, just smash the top off. Oh. What do you got Just, in your mug there, Doug? Uh, yeah, some little Japanese whiskey Willard gave me. Oh. Mo- yeah. Mo- moonshine. Oh, really? Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, I got to pound this moonshine. It'll be done by the time this interview's over. It's going to get sloppy. Oh. I'm just going to stop this recording quick here, Doug, okay. and I'm going to adjust your levels. Can I... Uh... What should I go for the the mockery more? Oh, or should I go for the good old Lagavulin? Oh, Lagavulin. Yeah, yeah. This one's the uh, double matured. <laughs> Perfect. Ex- extra peaty, extra campfire. Yeah. Double matured, <laughs> like me. Real mature. <laughs> oh fuck. Real mature, the maturest of them all. Doug, where did you, uh, you were just camping. Where were you? 
uh, just by kind of by Cremona, like an hour from my place. But Craig and I got stuck going in. There was more snow than I thought. So it turned out to be a bit more of an adventure than we wanted, but it was cool. It sounds like every trip you've ever told me you've gone on. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> it happens. <clears throat> Were you in the FJ or in your other one? No, in the Titan. Yeah, and I oh, had to yeah. winch a bunch. And yeah, it yeah, got yeah. kind of uh, nerve-wracking for a minute. Well, it can't be worse than the first time you took your FJ out. No, yeah, that was a bad scene. <laughs> Tell Dave about your brand new FJ. Yeah, before I had a winch or tires or anything, we went four by four in and got completely submerged and had to like climb a tree to get reception and try to get rescued. And we had to leave it. And I came home without my brand new vehicle. <laughs> and in the morning, there was a creek running through. We opened the doors and there was like enough water that it was like running through my vehicle. Oh, <laughs> it was pretty sketchy. It looked real bad in the daylight. Oh, those, when you showed me those pictures, I was just like, wow. Uh, and he's just like, huh. Yeah, what do you do? Yeah, right? I got it out. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, let's do this real start now. So you're kind of a big deal, Doug. Tell us uh, who you are. Uh, I'm Douglas Pink. Is it Douglas Roy Finkelstein or Stein? No, neither. I don't know what our original name is. It just got chopped to a four-letter thing once we got it. Uh, Whoever German. was it down was like, no. It's German for Finch. Yeah, but it was probably longer back in the day. Like, Oh, it was Big Finch or Little Finch or something. Yeah, yeah. Or Binder. <laughs> how, do you say, how do you say Little Finch in German? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know any German. That's not good. <laughs> Oh, fuck. So we might as well do this kind of uh, the way we normally do it. Let's. Where did you get your start? Uh, I started, I was trying to, once you guys asked me to do this, I was trying to conjure up some dates in my brain, which is kind of hard. But I started in Calgary after I finished. I took fine arts at UFC from 93 to 98. And then I kind of started right after that. Where was that? At Body Inc. in uh, Kensington. Feel free to elaborate on any of these questions. Okay. <laughs> Did you like you actually apprenticed there? Yeah, I uh, Jake uh, Everett worked there and was a piercing, and a friend of mine from school just said, "Hey, why don't you go there?" And I was just a receptionist to start with because I wanted to see if I even wanted to be in a tattoo shop or anything. Like I didn't really know much about it. Did you have worked. tattoos? Yeah, I had one tattoo, but I had no money to get tattooed then for sure. So that was definitely, which was probably good because if I knew a bunch of tattoo people, I probably would have had more tattoos that I wouldn't have wanted later, you know? So I started out and then one of the tattoo guys quit. And then I just kind of was willing to be crazy enough to be like, okay, I'll try and do this. Oh, that's wild. When was this? Uh, 98. So on the shop in 2000, so then it's easy to remember from 2000 because I can count to the date today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 23. Funny, just Simple a funny math. cross. Yeah, just a funny cross note. The, the shop that Doug is talking about is also where Ryan Gagne got his start. Oh, as a piercer. Just yeah. Ryan Gagne yeah. was a piercer first. Yeah. Yeah. Piercer. We just need to bring that up at every point just to he didn't rub that in. Me. No. <laughs> 
So you're at Body Ink for a couple of years, and then Yoshido yep. is the brainchild. Yeah, Sean and I. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember so, Sean. So we opened basically across the street from where I'm at and just wanted to do a different thing, wanted to have an art gallery and do kind of what every other tattoo shop wasn't. And I wasn't really from a tattoo background. I was from like a fine arts and not really in the fine arts scene either, but I was coming at it from a different thing and just didn't really have any place that I wanted to go to at the time. So I was either like, hey, if I'm gonna actually do this, then maybe, you know, do our own thing. So it was like starting a low budget movie, max a bunch of credit cards and like no one would, if if you said anything about tattooing then for leasers, renters, it was like so hard to do anything, which looking back is awesome because no one fucking helped us at all. And we had to do everything and like have a personal guarantee on everything. Like we weren't a numbered company that can do a bunch of shit and fail and have no, you know, I had to put my house, everything, you know, my wife's life on with everything. So it was super terrifying, but it was pay the month's rent and then worry about month two and then just keep going and then got kicked out of that spot and then moved to the next location and same. Then it was more money. We took two spaces. Was that, to the do shop on, was that fourth? Yeah, by Mongolia Grill. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. where I met you. So it was like a yeah. massive reno, build everyone rooms, try and make a different thing again. And we were there for five years. Same, got kicked out because there was a demo clause on the building and just wanted to do, uh, you know, change it again. So now I've been in the recent location, I think 17 years or something. Wow. And, and that's going to get demoed too for the Stampede, whatever they're doing at the Stampede to change it. So who knows, but moving kind of sucks. Dude, that's so <laughs> yeah. crazy, 17 years, because I worked at the 4th Street one with you and then moved over to the second floor one with you. That was 17 years ago. Yeah, dude. Holy Damn, fuck, that's I've known you way too long. Yeah, it's trippy. Well, I've known Will that works for me for 30 some years. We skateboarded and snowboarded together. Yeah. And oh, then, wow. Uh, he was taking visual communication at ACAD when I was at UFC and then finished. And then years later was like, oh, I think I want a tattoo. And then I just said, well, I'll come to the shop and hang out. And that's how he started i tell oh, people amazing. it's a bad idea and if they're willing to come hang out and kind of persevere then yeah. i'm like okay do it and he he wasn't young so it was like yeah. a big deal to change his career from freelance illustration and doing murals and that to being who knows but it's more of a real job once you have clients because you work set days it's not like you're busy and then you don't know what's happening so i think that's been good for him Right. Yeah, no yeah. doubt. Yeah, I'm going through the same thing right now with a guy. It's like, you really want to do this? Oh, I you should do this. But you want to do it? Okay, I'll help you out. Well, of all the, the things I've learned in my life, I would relearn to do, you know, the learning. And I start doing things all the time in my life because I like not knowing what I'm doing and having a hard time. I would never fucking learn to tattoo again. <laughs> like, it's the most, anything else you do, you can leave the painting in your studio. You can do whatever. When you're learning to do something and it's on a person that's walking around and then comes up to you later, it makes you pretty sad. Like, oh yeah, yeah. well, <laughs> totally. it makes normal people sad. Yeah, right. Like, yeah, there's there's a lot of people out there that should be sad. They're not sad. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess. Yeah. Right. So, 
yeah. it, it's got to be harder because you stayed in the city that you started in. Like guys, yeah, like Sean and I, we we, our we city burned, we I, fucked off. Yeah, yeah. Our, our skeletons, and I've had people recently, two clients that I tattooed 24 years ago that I'm tattooing again, and it's the tattoos are as old as some of my workers, so it's cool for them to see. And there's stuff that I did a long time ago that I think looks good and worked, but there's a hell of a lot of stuff that I definitely had no idea what I was doing and was just trying to make it work. And now I have more structure and can same help the younger people to be like, hey, my whole goal is for you to be less sad than me and to, <laughs> you know, circumvent any struggles because you're going to have a fucking ton, even if you think this shit's easy and it's no problem for you, then yeah. have fun because shit's going to happen. Do you yeah. find them receptive it's, to that? Oh, to yeah. your guidance? Yeah. 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 And then when you feel the pain that I'm like, remember me telling you this and you didn't <laughs> listen and now you're doing it, then that's usually good, right? Because it's like, yeah, Dude. I'm not, I'm, I'm trying to help you. It might not sound like it. Was, it was great working with Doug when he, uh, when he was hands-on with people in the shop because that's exactly how he would be. Remember that time I told you? <laughs> <laughs> Who's that now? Like he was very <laughs> blunt and direct. It was it was actually really great. <laughs> That's how you have to get through to people, right? Yeah, and we'd get people to like if we had meetings, write the shit down, and you got to sign on it because later when you're like, oh no, no, what you're talking about, it's just like, okay, let's go back to this book that has what we talked about because yeah. I remember, and I'm not first two shops I ever worked at that had like meetings with like minutes book. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, but yeah. because without it, then it's oh, enough. You had to yeah. hold people accountable. Like, yeah. Doug started, uh, I, I'll just tell this one, but I was like, Bushido was the first place I had ever stepped foot in where they supplied needles. And I was like, that's fucking crazy. And Doug was like, yeah, because I was sick of people bumming needles off of Doug's people. When you have a couple people that aren't the best, staying on top of that shit it's like hey man do you got a three it's like ah so he just take the stress off of himself by just being like you know what i'll supply what i use if you use the same as me it's there otherwise yeah. fuck off so and then when i opened champion i did the same thing i was like you know what i'll do the same thing all the needles i use i'll buy lots of if they use them great if they use anything special they have to get that themselves but that was when you told me that i was like are you and yeah, but the years then, I learned he was. Yeah. <laughs> Later, then I, when people had to get all their own stuff, you can totally see people buying cheap stuff because it's like, oh, you're not using my stuff. You're going to get the, like, you know, <laughs> little brand of everything. Yeah. Oh, the yeah. White box needles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Will's Mickey Mouse gloves. He's got white <laughs> mine gloves. And I was like, dude, do not wear those in here. <laughs> They're horrible. He takes them off and he's got ink on his hand. What the fuck? Dude, he puts them on and starts doing this and stuff. And I'm just like. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, so, motherfucker. All right. Let's go a little bit back to the beginning. So like 2000, you opened it. Fourth Street a couple of years later. Now you're on the second floor close to Stampede. Yeah. Um, you've gone Which through a the... lot of. What's that? Well, which was in the flood. That was a crazy. Oh, fuck yeah. yeah. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Team yeah helicopter footage. People's lives. So there was a helicopter camera view, and Stacy woke me up. And all I could see was the roof, of which I could comprehend was our shop. 
and what looked like a lake around it. So I didn't know how deep the water was, what was going on. And the elbow took a 45 and there was logs like going down 17th. And like, yeah, I saved a old dude that was trying to walk across the water and almost got swept away. Like it was full chaos, like a torrent yeah. at my door between my knee and my hip of like current and like debris floating oh. down. It was insane. Yeah, I remember seeing the videos and the pictures and stuff. That was insane. And of course, yeah. Doug's ripping out there, diving in Sean Penn style. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. And we got the guy that owns the building, Michael, had day staff out within two days, had his place renovated and back. And then we, I was willing to go, could have been ready in like two or three days. And there was no power. So we had a generator for the fish tank and stuff. And then I just told everyone, yeah, if you don't have anyone to help, I'll tell you people that need help. Like my buddy in Boness was up to his doorknob on his house. So there was some super carnage in the city. It was crazy. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. You were on the you were on the second floor by that time, yeah? Yeah. So it didn't do anything to me other than cut our power and we had to fix the first whatever four steps up our thing. So it was mellow, no damage basically to us. Other than I thought the building was maybe going to be like swept away. Like it was, it was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. No shit. Yeah. yeah that was that a crazy was a year. Really bad fucking flood. So. Yeah. For people not, or for people listening who don't know that Calgary got just butt fucked by, it was two rivers backed up. Was it, was a, was it ice jam that? Uh, it was just a bunch of uh, moisture that they kind I think now they realize that they could have done things to alleviate it. But by the time the reservoir was full, and they, they couldn't let the dam out. It was just, it just kept coming and like spilled the banks on the elbow and the bow, which now has flood mitigation. And like, I, I don't think that could ever happen again. So yeah, that was in like 2018. Uh, I don't know what year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. If you're interested, Google Calgary flood, you'll see some pretty gnarly and pictures. People. When I give you pictures, Dave, I took a bunch of pictures and like with the water at my front door and stuff, I'll, I'll put those in there too. All right, cool. We could have used them like for this podcast, but that's okay. Oh, I thought you. Could have, <laughs> what? How do you have them go now? Oh, I usually have them. I have a media library here. I can play while we're uh, while we're chatting. While we're, yeah, that's okay. Well, can, I'll can, figure. I'll figure out a way. I'll spend hours figuring out a way to edit them in for you. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> you wanted edits. You got them. <laughs> I'll, I'll send them in a bunch of weird formats too. Then. Oh, please do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like minuscule size, like one kilobyte. So they just have your computer screen and then your face and take a selfie of you with your picture and send it to Zay. Okay. Use a magnifying okay. glass. Bushido, uh, how many people do you have with you now? Uh, how many people? Jenny just left, but there was Jenny, Kale, uh, Melinda, Kira, Will, and Riley. And then oh, Aaron. That's a big crew. Aaron does reception remotely, and then Stace does the manage management stuff. Nice. Oh, wow. Yeah. And you're pretty – it's a closed studio now, right? Private pretty much? Yeah, since COVID, basically the door's been locked, and you got to get buzzed in, and it's been awesome. Like, yeah. we've never really had a problem with a bunch of people. Stairs stop a lot of people from <laughs> – Yeah. You know, like if they're tire kickers or if they're just crazy people – that usually yeah. makes people not want to do it. So we've yeah. rarely had issues with people coming in, but now it's pretty good. If I have friends, they just know to ring the doorbell. Someone lets them in and they come. 
but yeah. otherwise it's everyone's just working and yeah the clients and us is all that's there so it's cool nice is the temp place still next door yeah underneath of us yeah that's my yeah. business <laughs> remember when uh those uh crackheads were like flying around the streets and then they started attacking the school kids and then me and james jacobs ran out there yeah there's some we get a being on the roof is good because i have like a like when we have the party, we have a fire and stuff out on the the patio kind of thing. That's not a legit patio, it's just a roof. And we <laughs> see some, I've seen some crazy shit happen right outside where I'm taking a break from with my client and come back in. And I'm just like, I'm glad I'm in here because there's some weird shit happening out there. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Trevor dumping dirty mop water off the roof over the back onto like. Crack yeah, there's creatures. Sex. There's creatures out there. <laughs> oh, crazy. We went to Texas uh, old place and was guest barn there. I'm standing there and I look out the window and, you know, I had that, that grass up the back before the houses up there. Dude, just taking a big shit. <laughs> <laughs> of course, busted the phone out. <laughs> For your spank bang. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Oh, so, cool. Bushido, let's just jump, we'll just jump around a little bit here um, from tattooing, actually, because you're insane and just decide to try anything that's usually difficult for most people and then excel at it. Uh, how long were you a pro mountain biker for? Uh, I was trying to think of that. So I could say when we moved to the 4th Street would have been 2002. So probably around, do you remember what year you would have been there? I would have been there around 2006. Six? And I was Six right. Seven, right? seven. And you I would have been right. A little bit. You were just, yeah, you, were, you weren't riding as much, but you were riding. Yeah. yeah, there was probably a five-year time where I was, it was like full bore. Like every, my vacations were contests or filming the TV show drop-in. I did guest spots and then did some mountain bike movies. And I didn't compete much because I wasn't really into that, but I'd go and film. I got to do two rampages and help build in Utah with my friend, Big Red Ted. And after oh, I met wow. him, he was a filmer. I just got to go on crazy trips. So I'd take time off from tattooing and come back completely fucking shattered and <laughs> tattoo like... I've every time I was hurt, I was just hoping it was from my waist down because I stopped basically doing MMA and martial arts because I was broken. And then I thought I would start doing street and dirt jumping slope style mountain biking. And I proved that you can only fall so far at the mats and that jujitsu and MMA is pretty safe because all oh, those yeah. guys, all their friends that mountain bike are can't do anything anymore because they're broken. <laughs> so yeah, so it was it was awesome, and I was yeah I was super old. Like J Rock was a little kid when I met him. He was like fifteen at the oh, yeah J Rock Red Bull Freeze Ride. So I w I'm I think ten years older. So I would have been twenty five when he was fifteen, and that was like the first. That's when I met all those people like Thor, all the mountain bike dudes back in the day, and they just said, "Hey, do you want to come film?" And I was like, "Sure, I own my own business. I can take time off whenever." And yeah, it was awesome. But I definitely. I feel really lucky because I have friends that are literally fucked, like, you know, are broken and can't do much. So I, I feel pretty good for how much I've done because 
I've definitely almost killed myself a lot. <laughs> like, so what is it about getting into physical activities outside of tattooing? Like there's a, is it a balance for you? What's the, yeah, I don't what's know. the attraction I think, there? I think I'm learning now that like before I was, I don't know what I was running from or something, but I had to, if it wasn't super risky and if it didn't take 100% of my concentration in some kind of freestyle form, no coach, it's like you're choosing to do it. It's a culture where, you know, now all those things are, you could be in the Olympics. So people want to start because they could be famous or rich where I was just attracted to stuff that like Sean said, if I saw something like BMX freestyle when I was a kid, like I was like, I want to be able to do that. And it didn't make any sense. Like anything that I've been like, that's fucked. And I want to figure that out. I would become completely obsessed with for X amount of time. And then certain things stop doing it and not do it again for five years, 10 years, 20 years, and then start again and be like, Oh yeah, this is super cool. I like this. So I don't know what it is, but like I said, and when I was going super hardcore on things, I was definitely if I was really good at something, I was failing in every aspect of my life other than that, because I was so obsessed with it. I was willing to be like, it was an addiction. Like I would tell my wife I'm hurt. If those guys call to go ride, I can't do it. And as soon as they'd call, I would have my gear and I would leave. I couldn't stop myself from doing it. Like it was in a bad, you know, like mercenary people that come back to the regular world. You know what I mean? They, they need that, you know, adrenaline junkie i guess but it's more than that it's some and that it has i think it is technical and that it's my mind and my body are completely both involved like i want to do tricks that someone else doesn't want to do i want to make my own creative way but with my body same as art but i've always had that with my body like i could see how dancers a pure expression you know what i mean like it's it's meaning is how it's feeling and just going on the feeling and if i felt yeah. good it made me want to do it i didn't question it or even try to understand it i was just like i'm like get out of the way and usually a lot of the times when someone was like this is a bad idea i would completely ignore any you know <laughs> any direction because i didn't want to be told what to do and i didn't care if people were into it or not i just was so stoked on it yeah. you touched you touched on uh something i i think about quite often with sport and art uh, expressing yourself creatively. Do you see that combination, like that a similarity between athletics and art? Yeah, but especially when it's, you know, structure is always good, especially for tattooing. But that's why I do other things that it doesn't matter. You can make mistakes all day and learn from them and the mistake can be part of it. You might be able to bullshit your way through a tattoo saying that, but I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel with tattooing. I'm trying to do structured things because if you're tattooing humans for 20 years 30 years like i have clients tommy i did his bodysuit in a 17 year period and if you don't have super structure and base it's going to look pretty schizophrenic and if you're trying to reinvent the wheel that's not that's not what i'm trying to do and from Jurgen, that's what i learned like that's why you do things certain ways where with physical stuff if it was structured i didn't want to be part of it like the early mma time in calgary before there was mma even we just were a bunch of people that would meet up and do it. It was like, you know, playing hacky sack or doing things that it's, there's no chance in hell you're ever going to. Oh my God, I forgot you were the president of the hacky sack association. Yeah. Like a worldwide thing that you could go to anywhere in the world. And if you called the person, the representative, so when I was in New York in 99, so this ties into tattooing when I met 
Steve and Driscoll at the New York convention. I would have just started tattooing right before we opened the shop. And I had broad labor shoes that if you're a hack nerd, you cut them a certain way. And if you see someone with those shoes tied a certain way, and you always have a foot bag in your pocket. So I went to Washington Square Park, went all over New York. And you can see that, like, if you know what you're looking for, you can see the people. And it's a group where you had to make them back in the day, a multi-panel bag. Like, it was a, a super deep dive in nerdistry because other people think they know what it is. And there's a worldwide association, like a point system. So I never wanted to compete, but just the pure freestyle aspect of it, just to this day, like, I played a bit this summer with uh, James and his son camping. And yeah, it brings me back to, I would play for like 10 hours a day. I was a terrible a receptionist at Body Ink because I only wanted to go to the roastery and try the new thing that I was trying that I didn't land yesterday or whatever. And so <laughs> I was fully, fully obsessed where certain things I was like, okay, I need to like set this on the back burner. But if I, if I start kicking it, I'm back to that just like in, in the world. Did you pick, do you pick things up and then put them down and move on to something else? Or yeah, is there overlap or do you just yeah, get yeah. fed up with it? Yeah. And like when people ask me, oh, how long have you, I started at a new jujitsu club and they're like, how long have you trained? I would have no idea because it was always the same. If I was into it, when I was snowboarding as a kid, I stopped training for, I think, two years. And I went back and fought a tournament and I hadn't fought in a long time and like won the grand championship and was super stoked because I would just go in to show up and help my you know my team and do whatever and then that got me back into it so certain things i yeah i just i don't know it's like going into the forest and if you see a shiny thing i start digging and then when i find it sometimes i'm like oh i don't care about this and if i see the next shiny thing then i'm like oh yeah i really like this other shiny thing <laughs> polish so then i go back to it <laughs> I remember when you uh, you took Bushido. I was out of town, and you took Bushido out uh, roller skating. And oh, Christy, yeah, we, we used to do that quite a bit. Christy was like, "Fucking Doug Fink." I'm like, "What?" She's like, "He's like a master fucking roller skater." Like, <laughs> goes, like goes by doing like the fucking pistol squat. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, I like roller skating. <laughs> oh my god! And so, well, you probably. Probably, what, 26 years off and on with jujitsu and MMA? Well, I started karate when I was 15, and I'm turning 49. And I did just karate for probably five years till I was a brown belt, I think. And then I moved to Calgary. I started a karate club that was in a racquetball court at the university. Then after I got my black belt, a bunch of the black belts from our club, the goal was to get our black belts in karate and then go. One guy did Aikido. Other people did shoot wrestling and different stuff. And then they started like an actual shoot wrestling thing, which I wasn't interested in belts or any kind of structured. So I would just rent space and we would literally get anyone to come. We used to have a uh, Mount Royal had a pit, like a wrestling pit that you walked in the hallways, went down steps and had padded walls and was like a gladiator pit. So we would put up posters <laughs> and say fight club and go at a certain time. And we had... Judo guys, Aikido guys, uh, karate people, Taekwondo people, wrestlers, like everything. Ninjutsu guy was there and every weight class from super small people to massive people. And all we did, no structured like drills, warm up, if we did a warm up and spar. 
and would either shark tank every time where if you tap the person, a new person comes in and then just go. And all we did was spar and try to figure out what worked and what didn't work. And it was amazing. It was like, so I did years of that where I would have a place where you pay five bucks. If you trained anywhere in the city, no one cares. We didn't take photos yeah. of anything anyways back in the day where that came a thing where people couldn't be in the picture because there, it wasn't, it wasn't a thing to go share and train and learn. It was like still, yeah. Like, what tattooing's turning into now? Like Criante Brazilian is like trader. Like if you go somewhere else and teach the secret techniques, we were all about like fucking who cares? Come here and if you beat me up, yeah, I'll probably learn something from you. Yeah. So yeah. I did a, I did that for years. So I don't know. It's been thirty some years, but I definitely had years where I was doing other stuff. When I was mountain biking, I didn't train because I physically couldn't train. I was doing yeah. that's all I was doing every day. Yeah, yeah. So a so, long yeah, time. I just I just posted the uh, the videos of the secret dojo from when I was down mm. of you uh, molesting Dan oh, that, Soda. Oh, that's the flooded house. That's my body. Oh really? Oh okay. Yeah yeah. Yeah, so yeah, I posted that video on you on uh, Instagram <clears throat> and the one of Jory where we're yelling at Dan just to keep going and keep going and keep going. And he's just like dying and dying. <laughs> Dude, that was awesome because we've tried to hook up to do a tattoo tattoo martial arts thing for years and that uh, that finally worked. So that was wicked. And that's when I was yeah. still kind of had that nerve shit going on and now that's better. So yeah. I took 10 months off just since I saw you. I hadn't rolled in 10 months. So yeah. All right. Well, I'll be back down soon. Yeah. There's lots of mats around here. Secret dojos everywhere. Cool. Yeah. There's a, there's a tournament that I'm uh, going to be doing at the end of May. At the 10th planet? Uh, no, it's the Ava. Oh. Yeah. So it's a uh, submission only round robin, like kind of EBI rules. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. So I'll send you a, a link. You can come and boo me. Yeah, man. I'll make a post. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's now jump back to tattooing. Because uh, I know Dave would love to hear the story, as I would love to hear the story again, of how you first met uh, Ryujin. Yeah, totally. So that was completely, everyone thinks that I had something to do with it or that I had a plan. Where I tell people, I think all the people that have a plan to do that can kind of... I don't know about getting duped, but if you're really trying to look for something and, you know, if, if my goal was to try and find a Japanese tattoo teacher, then I think it could have went poorly where I always had an interest in Japanese tattooing from the first tattoo I did. That was what I was interested in, like body suits. That's when I thought tattooing could be something different, you know, not when I started, it was definitely flash stuff and until i saw aaron kane and different people doing like body based stuff you know transform a body by artwork and of course old school japanese body suits you know I, that was always a dream that it's like oh if i could do that even in a most bastardized western way let alone have a japanese person tell me precisely how he was taught you know so there was a guy uh dylan that's our good friend now was trying to find who this person was in japan that there was pictures posted of because at the time he had no website was not online and was basically tattooing in a tiny place in rapongi in tokyo and uh didn't have his name on the pictures i don't think even so dylan was like oh i want to find this person 
tried to get tattooed by me. I wasn't taking new clients. Went and got tattooed by Kevin Johnson at Texas. And then finally, after the tsunami and the flood in 2013, maybe, or uh, in Japan, yeah, uh, Ryugen had to be like, I need to expand my, you know, my business. And he was by himself. So Dylan reached out to him and said, can I come to Tokyo to get tattooed? Because at that time, a lot of Japanese tattooers wouldn't even tattoo Western people if you contacted them. So he said, yeah, of course, come. And then Dylan's like, well, would you come to Canada? Would you come to a guest spot? And he's like, I know some tattoo shops. So then he sent them my shop and James's shop to be like, would you come? He sent me an email saying, hey, if this guy comes, sent me his website. And at the start, I was completely, I thought it was a scam. I was like, there was no way if the person that is the person that produces this work would come here, I don't believe it. I think I thought it was some kind of, you know what I mean? So I said, I'm, I'm not going to do anything to help him come. I don't know this person and I don't believe this is true. So if he makes it across the border, then yeah, he can come here and tattoo. So he came, got detained. They found his tattoo stuff and then he got his passport taken and they said, you have to fly back to Tokyo in 24 hours. So Laurel, my manager at the time, she's like, maybe we can get him a visa. And I was like, I'm pretty sure if he didn't have a visa, they're not going to give him a visa in 24 hours. And she got him a visa within 24 hours because oh there was no other Tabori artist in Canada. And he was, he was really good at that stuff. He was not going to take anyone's job. He was not going to do anything. And he was the only person in the country that was doing what he was doing. So we could prove that that was the case. So he came to the shop and started tattooing. I think Brando was the first person that got tattooed by him. And we were kind of like, oh, yeah, we'll get a, you know, Tabori tattoo because it'll be traditional and probably look a little shady. And he started tattooing, could tattoo faster than half of the workers that I had in the shop by hand. He learned machine outlining and then Tabori shading and uh, coloring and completely blew my mind. So I said, is it okay? And at the time he was learning English. So he didn't really want to talk to people while he was tattooing to have to translate in his brain from English to Japanese or whatever. So I was like, okay, can I watch? And he said, yeah. So I canceled all my appointments. We had him set on the ground because he worked on the floor at that time. So we set him up with little mats and stuff. And then Brando got tattooed. I got tattooed. Uh, and then I just kept asking him, okay, is, is it okay if I take a video of you tattooing? He's like, yeah. And then I think after the first week, he tattooed all week and did crazy, amazing stuff. I took him camping, didn't know if I'd even be able be able to communicate with him or anything, and uh, just hit it off with him. And his English was pretty good. And I said, will you teach me how to do this? And he wouldn't say yes, but he just said, you should come to Japan. And then the next week, same, I took a million videos and was just trying to reverse engineer what he was doing because it made no sense. I had tattooed for 16 years up to that point. And the only similarity was that he was using metal needles and that he had the same kind of ink. And other than that, it was completely, completely different. Like it made no sense how it would, like none of it made any sense. And the fact that he wasn't just making tattoos he was performing brilliantly and it was like amazing both his body because it's hyper more physical than western tattooing and yeah. so, like those things we talked about i was instantly like i'm gonna fucking do this like i'm i'm gonna i'm going to japan i'm gonna do this everyone's like what are you talking about like 
you've been tattooing for 16 years and you're going to fucking relearn. I was like, exactly. Yeah. I'm going to fucking get rid of my table tomorrow, put mats, work on the floor. And from now till I go to Japan, I'm going to have to be able to sit on the floor to watch him tattoo. And people like you're fucking insane. I moved my spot to where it is now in the back of the shop and was like, I don't, I don't care what anyone thinks. Like I'm doing this. And then I took him to the airport. He gave me a needle and then I reverse engineered that needle to try and make a jig. And then I just started from there. Then I went to Japan, watched him tattoo, came back and yeah, did as obsessively as I could. And of all the things I've obsessed over, I've, definitely got kicked in the nuts more doing tabori than anything else in my life like it's after a year i think of making needles he came he stays at my house when he's here and we went to make needles because i'm like hey i want to like show you what i'm doing and we came back in the house and stacy's like oh how did you do and he's like not so good <laughs> which is awesome like it's just like yeah you're of being a white belt and shit man like I, I'm, I don't know if I'm a white belt still, but I was definitely, that's a, if people think jujitsu takes a long time to like learn and that you get nothing out of it, you get to choke people and hurt the weakest person in jujitsu in Tabori. I don't think you get any of that shit. It's just <laughs> constant nut kicks the whole time. Like, so I went to Japan uh... and yeah, I just met, got an apartment I'd stay for two or three weeks, tried to go. I think I've been three or four times. And then he used to come twice a year. So he'd be here a month a year, stay at my house. And it was like 24 seven when he's here, he would leave and just keep practicing and doing that. And my goal was to do, you know, a sleeve. Uh, I have a back piece or two on progress that I did. And then after that, now I'm basically doing all machine tattooing. I do Tabori tattoos on friends or artists and stuff that come. My goal now is to just be an ambassador for him. And if he's in town, he's doing huge work on people. He's done multiple sleeves, back pieces. Like he's done a ton of work while he's visiting here. And my whole thing is to show any Western tattooer everything about it. Because if you're ignorant about any of that stuff, it's not going to help it. You know, people learn about it. It's more about sharing and showing. Like I said, there's no secret because... When YouTube showed people how to use a camera, I'm pretty sure a bunch of people still suck at taking photos. It's not about, you know what I mean? It's not about secret information or whatever. It's a lifetime of hardcore practice and experience. You know, people nowadays are all about reading something on the internet. That stuff is, it's like sparring a person in martial arts. You can have whatever belt on. Once you roll with someone for 30 seconds, you know what's going on and how, what that person knows compared to you how they react. It's kind of like that. And by doing a hand tattoo the old way and how they've done it so perfectly and like is the solution to many problems that are kind of maybe it's easier and faster to tattoo with a machine, but I tattoo with a machine now differently by learning hand tattooing, thinking that I'm doing a really fast Tabori tattoo with a machine. So it's a kind of a different way that I do it. And I think Tex does a little bit of Hennet, like the scoopy stuff in, you know, there's either straight in Tabori, emo, that's like what a machine does, potato poke, like going straight in, straight out to make dots. If you're doing the scoop, you know, the suk, suk, suk thing, it's lifting the skin, it's lifting the skin and barfing a chunk of pigment. So that can't be replicated with a, a, a tattoo machine. 
but I think if you're doing a little bit of that motion, it, it can a little bit. But yeah, it blew my mind and continues to blow my mind. And every time he comes, he's improving and he's doing crazy stuff. So he's getting his bodysuit finished by Kensho II in Saitama. And he does all hands. So now Rugen's doing hand lining. So they're trading uh, technique. Oh, wow. Rugen's better at, I think, you know, shading and uh, color. And then Kensho's lining. And same, he's... If I do a Tabori tattoo, I'm choosing the everything to make it as easy as possible for me. They're doing the hardest thing. Like they're showing that this is the the scary stuff and facing it, you know, like wavy lines, stuff that with a machine, cool. By doing doing it by hand is mind-bending. That's why I think everyone should, you know, try it or you know, get a Tabori tattoo for someone or watch because if you're doing machine tattooing. It's it has a lot to do with it if you understand how those different things are going because they're doing it all based on your body's the machine like it's crazy. Ori Massa was incredible to watch. He was uh, he could pull off a tattoo as fast as anybody with a machine could, and yeah. the shit was so so solid. Like it was, it, it's hard to believe that a hand technique like that can give you such a opaque tattoo solid tattoo and, and, it, that, and, and that's why because it's not dot based you can pack as many dots as you want it's a dot if you're yeah. releasing a chunk of pigment it's a liquid exactly. chunk of pigment under the skin and it's yeah. yeah it's i don't know how many more dots of pigment there would be but many like it's it's profound i'm just gonna i'm just gonna pause this so we can fix sean's audio or sean's uh video oh like this that's better <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're talking about uh, the hand, the hand style. I, I don't think you see a lot of hand poking tattoo nowadays, and I don't think people uh, get that the Japanese style is so completely different than even the Polynesian style or uh, yeah, any and other. With within Japanese tattooing, Horiyoshi's style became the the norm. So like triple stack, long, you know, whatever length of uh, tool where Rugen's is double stack curved and uh, is, is different. Yeah. And Jenna uh, slower black worked with me and she had never used a machine ever and was doing a shamisen style of Tabori doing the little bit of the henna. So she just had like a machine needle around liner or whatever on a chopstick, but was doing shamisen style. So instead of going off your thumb and working backwards, you stretch and go forward so the oh. flick is going forward. And that was based on her literal experience of doing straight in, doesn't do it. And if you do a little bit of a flick, you get that flick. And so that's a more rare style, the shamisen pick, where they put, uh, I think, Hori Ren in Japan, the female tattooist with the yeah, shape yeah. that was on the Netflix yeah, yeah. with Jared Leto. <laughs> her style is that. So that's, I think there's only her left that does shamisen style. Uh, oh, okay. That's slower black, man. I remember when I saw her tattoos, probably 2010 or 11 or whatever, I was blown away. Yeah, they're great. Her, her hand poke stuff is so good. Dude, that's actually somebody we should reach out. Uh, she's yeah, in, yeah. Uh, I think she's is she still in Brooklyn or is she in Europe now, Doug? Do you know? Uh, I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah, we'll find her. Internet's a small place. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, Japan, your first trip over there. How'd that go? 
Yeah, I and pretty much I think the first time I just I think we went he took me to like a saksa and different places. You don't go visit other tattoo people, so we never saw any tattoo people. So when he was at my shop, I think he had been tattooing 20 some years and I was like, "Oh, how's the shop?" And he's like, "Oh, I've never been in a tattoo shop." And we're like, <laughs> "What do you mean you've never been in a tattoo shop?" He's like, "Yeah, I've never seen anyone tattoo other than his master and the other deshi where he learned to tattoo." And that alone, we're like, what are you talking about? And it's like, <laughs> it's like back in the day when we were doing martial arts, you don't show up at someone's club and be like, hey, it's either your dojo storming them or you're there to join them. You're not there to like yeah. out and like possibly something and go away. So that's how they are there. You don't you go to visit. You're a, a junior to the person. So if you go to visit, you're saying that I'm below you and I'm here to maybe learn from you. So because of that, no one... No one goes anywhere. No one sees anyone's stuff. So then it's hyper, which for that style, I think is good because now the whole problem with, or possible problems is that if you can reference 4,000 people's potato tattoo that you're doing, it might look kind of crazy because you're trying to combine 4,000 different styles where that, if all you see, like martial arts, if you're trying to do a reverse punch that your teacher's doing, and once you've copied it exactly, you want to do something different, cool. Until then, keep fucking doing the same thing. So yeah. I think that's the benefit of that is that you're only this is the structure. This is this is what you're doing within that structure. Go crazy, but there's a high hyper structure to all of it. I, I yeah. think that's a real hard thing for the American mind to grasp, though, because you really need to humble yourself to not doing your own thing and just copying what somebody one person does and trusting that that's going to get you to where you want to be. Yeah, I don't know if the American it, mind can handle that. I think it's the same as, you know, if someone's going to start dancing and their first dance is an interpretive dance, you know, <laughs> if your first painting is uh, abstract something, then it's not an expansion or a more, say, truer form of you. You just don't know what you're doing, which is fine to fuck around. And that's more people should do that. But with tattooing, that's a pretty risky, you know, I tell people within jazz, within the structure, you could still listen to it and be like it's jazz so if you're trying to do a specific form of japanese tattooing you're not trying to reinvent anything and that no. the the human is coming back later your whole goal when you start anything and that one piece is part of a bigger whole that the tapestry that you're doing everything on has to match so you can't do anything but a black and gray background and there has to be a 70 percent ratio of black your wind bar has to be a specific size. Your water has to be a specific way. Your rocks have to be a specific way because if it takes you 20 years to do a bodysuit and you have this water on one arm and this water on another arm, it gets kind of crazy and it doesn't look <laughs> cohesive. So you have to be like, I'm not trying to do anything crazy other than within the motif, within the images that you're allowed to freestyle, go crazy. And within the other stuff, you literally can't do anything but the structure or you're not going to make a bodysuit on someone you're going to cover someone with tattoos which is totally valid and is a different thing it's not what i'm trying to do yeah no it makes sense you know i yeah. i know even with my own work i'm constantly worrying about progressing you know that's always in the back of my mind like i have to improve everything improve everything but what you're saying is evident when your client comes back you're like oh fuck like i don't do water like that anymore that's a fucking problem yeah you know 
It doesn't and look I tell right. people, regardless if you're doing Japanese tattooing, any form of tattooing, you need to make your language and you should write it down. And like I have notes, tons of books of notes from when I went and asked all those things. Why do you do this? Why is this this way? Oh, this is artistic interpretation. This is because this is the way I do it. This is the way these shapes go. This is the flow of every single tattoo you're going to do starts at one place and goes somewhere else. So if you do midway of that, as long as you know what starts here and is going here, then you can do the middle piece. If you do a short sleeve with a chest panel is the smallest thing I'll do, because if you extend it, you can do a chest panel and a short sleeve on the other side. Then you can extend the sleeves. You can go Munawari down the, the center. Then it's all part of a bigger thing that you can do in any order. Back first, front, doesn't matter. As long as you know how all those pieces fit together, even if you don't know what image is going to be there, as long as the structure is the way it's supposed to be, it can take 30 years or 40 years. It doesn't matter. How much of your fine art education do you think has contributed to you understanding a new art, for, like learning the Japanese form? Because your brain I, would I, look at it differently, right? Yeah, I relate it more to martial arts. It's very similar, I think. Because of that, this is the family you're coming from. You're not making up your own punch or your own kick. You're th This is the way we do it, you know? And within that, every human is going to be unique in the fact that it's your brain and body that's going through the stuff and mm -hmm. that it's hyper-structured and that you don't fucking ask a shorter way or you just watch and listen and try to... And Japanese way is that if you're truly stealing from your teacher, I can't teach you anything. That's just tricking me into thinking that here, here, you can do it. And then they have to fumble through it. Someone can watch you and once they can replicate it and they're doing it, then they've stolen it. So that's why I think, you know, it's way better to just be trying that stuff. And that's the way you can, you know, get better is by floundering through it. And like, if you think too much about it, you're probably wasting your time thinking about it. Mm -hmm. Crazy. Yeah. So your first time in Japan, uh, you tattooed yourself. I know that. Yeah I, yeah, I kept tattooing myself in my apartment. And then Ryugen's like, quit tattooing yourself. And I was like, I need to practice what you're showing me. So then in the middle of the day on the mat, he's like, tattoo me. And then I was like, oh, okay. So then he's on his computer, put his leg out and have the same, you know, zone that you can reach the easiest to do Tabori. And he let me tattoo him. And yeah, that was, I learned more in five minutes, you know, he'd grab the tool, do some, do some work. Same with if I am teaching someone, they're tattooing themselves or they're tattooing a client, they're set up, do a line, do something, hand it back, do that. So that same, it's like someone, you know, doing a motion in front of you, then do it. If you're trying to remember what you saw or what you thought you learned, good fucking luck with that. Like that's, that's pretty hard. Yeah, no doubt. So that was a huge no. test that, yeah, I kept kept tattooing myself in my apartment because I was like, I need practice to do this. And got back and, yeah, found people to tattoo. And you got your, did you get your Hori name on your first trip over? Uh, I don't remember, but uh, same. I tattooed it on myself before he okayed it or saw if there was a bunch of photos online or whatever. And I was just like, I don't care, dude. I'm I'm like putting this stuff in my skin. And then his wife, you know, he says she's more of a normal. You have to tell the story of the of the hoary name that you got. Yeah. So 
usually it should be something to do with you is like the teacher giving you a name kind of thing. So he was like, oh, I think I have a name for you. So he always like leopard sometimes can be a different translation for panther, I think. But leopard was the, the main thing. So he's like, oh, when you first took me camping, he thought we were going to a campground or something where I just took him into the middle of the forest, shot guns, had like a 20 foot high fire, you know, did my regular camping stuff. And he's like, when you took me, I thought maybe you were going to kill me and eat me because you're a wild <laughs> animal. So he's like, a leopard, you can have as a pet or a friend, but it's still a wild animal. So you still <laughs> might eat me. And when there was, I was in seven, I think, earthquakes, the one trip, two in 24 hours when I got there. So I had a go bag with me, shoes to run fast, to avoid falling buildings, water. <laughs> and he's wearing his like leather fancy shit. And I was like, dude, what if something crazy happens? He's like, you're fine. You'll eat these people and you'll be okay. I was like, I don't know where I'm going. I'm scared. Like, it freaks me out. And he's like, oh, no, it's no problem. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, man was scary, especially after the earthquake shit. I was just like, I don't know about yeah. this, man. Like, I'm on an island. I don't speak the language. And there's a fuck of a lot of people here. And I'm pretty sure when shit gets gnar, there's going to be a lot of chaos happening. And I don't know where to go. Yeah, they don't like. They're not gonna respect you being a white guy. Oh yeah, the fact that you go to Japan with a go bag. Yeah, I'm not, <laughs> right. I was scared. <laughs> oh, uh, some of the stories you told me, like when you tried to buy a kimono, uh, that jacket that you had and stuff, and like, oh, just trying to deal with like merchants and stuff. Yeah, I haggled because he's like, you don't haggle, and I was like, I only have this money on me, and I'll buy that. Tell the guy that I'll pay. It's like a antique flag turned into a jacket and the guy took the money and I think was stoked. He made a sale, but Regan's like, no, they don't, that's not how you do it. And I was like, well, I'm the only one that fits me and I want, <laughs> want to buy this thing, man. Like, help me out. Oh, fuck. Oh God. Jeez. Where in that, where in Japan is he? Uh, he lives in Saitama, tattoos in Tokyo. And then I usually stayed in Saitama. I had a, a little apartment that was like a, I don't know, a, a fancy prison cell maybe? Like, you know, a, a sink, a metal thing to put your clothes in and a tiny bed. My bathroom was four floors below me. And all I did was, I didn't really sleep much in Japan. I was so stoked that I would come back, start editing photos because I took tons of photos there and stuff and was just obsessed with, he would give me ukiyo-e reference and it was, I couldn't get enough of all of that stuff. And then we would go to, bookstores or museums if we had time off and otherwise i just watched them tattoo every day yeah your photo collections were great man i have a few of yeah. your of your ones that you uh printed off and stuff like that and turned into like little art pieces and stuff so yeah cool and anyone should follow his uh tattooist or uh, tattooist rugen's instagram he's been to over 700 shrines and takes high quality photos of all that's his reference when he was learning was more that carvings on the temples and the shrines yeah. and stuff. And it's amazing. Like it's a trove of priceless reference for free on his Instagram. And every yeah. day he's going to a, a different shrine. Like it's, it's incredible. Well, if Dave, the master editor here remembers when people hit the like and subscribe, ding, 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 he'll put yeah, it in the link stuff popping up and then put some links like, in there, Dave. So people can find things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you could have told me I need the stuff by this day, and I would have had it all dialed. I thought okay. you had to 
you know okay this will give you some editing time okay <laughs> yeah because <laughs> i've got a crazy amount of media man yeah yeah but you you have to i was gonna say like make sure you send some of your paintings and your other art and stuff like that because yeah, I'll send some audio files. That's what I do in this room is do, uh, I wouldn't call it music, but it's definitely sounds are, sounds are. Throat singing? You do like uh, Mongolian throat singing? Yeah, I did a Tuvan throat singing course online, actually. Of course you did. <laughs> That's another. I'm not surprised. You know, we should, surprised. we should have Doug's wife, Stacy, on. She oh, yeah. Do a podcast about how to live with a Doug Fink. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yes. She deserves all the props because I don't know how that works. Cause I'm yeah. Good luck with that. Yeah. She's, uh, <laughs> she's definitely one of the fucking coolest. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, let's jump back into your art. Um, you do like a lot of the mixed medium, like a kind of acrylic pour over stuff. You've been doing that for a while. Is, is that really the stuff that you kind of came out of university kind of geared towards? Well, or is that a I little a, bit of your own evolve, like uh, evolution? Uh, I was a sculpture major, so I did like some steel stuff, welded stuff. I did some casting, and then I did printmaking. But my kind of trick in university was that I was a student tech, so I had keys to all the studios. And my goal in university was to spend whatever the amount was for the year for tuition and all that was to have a studio that I could weld, do woodwork, do printmaking, do photo, do etching, do everything would cost an insane amount of money. And even if I failed school, I if the chance to use those places was all I was trying to do. I wasn't trying to perfect anything. I was trying to explore a bunch of mediums and be like, okay, when I'm out of here, do I want to you know, buy a welder? Do I want to have a wood shop? Do I want to do printmaking? And what's viable in a space that I could have to do? So I think my grad show was the kind of similar stuff that I do now. I was doing printmaking and on flat wood panels and then doing pouring medium over it and same kind of mixed media type stuff. So it's been an evolution of that for, you know, 20, 25 years, but I still do a bunch of other stuff. That's just the most cohesive. The last show I had, the last two were that a body of work like the last show I had a hundred paintings and was two years of like uh, insane amount of work that if it's for a set amount of time I'm okay with it but then to do commissions or whatever I space that out because I don't want to be on a time crunch for any of that stuff I want to be inspired to do it and do it otherwise it's I'm not interested in doing it. how many hours a day do you sleep I sleep tons <laughs> I sleep he does Eight to 10 hours for sure every night. I'll have times when I don't. And when I used to draw late, I would definitely go to bed at four in the morning, wake up at nine or 10, and then the next night go to bed super early. Now I go to bed early, wake up, you know, pretty early, but I def I, I've never not been able to sleep or I lose my mind more than it's lost already. I would, I would fucking text him at night and then be like, yeah, he didn't respond. He's like, what do you think? I sleep with my fucking phone? And I was like... <laughs> Wait, you don't sleep with your phone? No. I was like, everybody sleeps with their phone. <laughs> oh, no, not me. No. So you you must be super productive then. I mean, you have tons of stuff going on in your life. And to produce that many paintings, that's uh, on top of jujitsu and running a business and tattooing. And... Yeah, but I don't know anything about Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> 
dude, you're not even living. <laughs> so that's the answer. How do you even hold a conversation? <laughs> uh, I try not to usually. He just keeps talking. <laughs> if you control the conversation, it don't matter. Uh, that's awesome. No, I don't know. I think I have lots of time where I'm being lazy doing nothing. So I don't know. Like I said, if I'm not into something, I'm doing nothing. But I'm often stoked on doing something. It's usually what I'm not supposed to be doing. If I have drawing homework for work, I'm super obsessed about getting a painting done. You know? So same. I'm just drawn from what I'm supposed to be doing. But there's always something. I don't know how people aren't have a million hobbies because there's so much cool shit. Like, I don't know. I know. I'm always checking stuff out and I find a bunch of cool stuff always. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah, that's like, and I saw a bunch of your last paintings. A bunch had already sold, but I got the chance to see a bunch that were still hanging up and stuff. And that's the thing, like, when we're talking about your paintings, like, they're not just, like, these small little paintings. They're all different sizes, all this, like, mixed, like, multi-level media stuff that takes time. Like, you're not pouring and then working on that one painting again until, you know, a day later. Yeah, I think, I think that's a huge thing like my process is when it was full bore my whole basement my garage I had multiple like three or four studio spaces in my basement and my whole garage and when I'm usually working on that stuff it's always flat on the ground and I'll be doing so when I'm doing the sewing part of it I'll sew for an evening and get a bunch of that done I do everything in a, a different process and then I'm assembling it kind of near the end which is kind of the fun part and when I'm doing it, like I said, if I'm sick of doing whatever, I just stop doing it. So then I'll be in my garage to go get something. I'll be like, oh, I'm working on this thing. Then three hours later, I'll come out of the garage and be like, oh, I was actually going in the basement. And then I'll go in the basement and be like, oh, yeah, I had to work on. So like I said, it's the shiny object in the forest that keeps glinting with the sun. And I'll go yeah. pick it up every time. Yeah. Oh, amazing. But yeah, he, you know, like... Uh... It always amazed me, like living, you know, I was pretty much your neighbor for, uh, for a long time when I was renting your buddy's house and coming over and hanging out. The, like Dave's saying, like you produce a lot and then wondering how you can sleep. It's like, it's amazing. I would spend time with you, uh, you know, working all day and then we'd hang out. You'd be smoking your fucking crazy volcano, giant bag of pot vapor thingy <laughs> video gaming. You know, we'd watch pride FC or whatever, do some stuff. And then, I'd leave, and then the next day, he'd be like, I'm going to bed. I'd go home, and then the next day, he'd be like, oh, yeah, buddy, I forget your buddy's name. Oh, he's coming back from tree planting, and we rolled. And I'm like, what time did you guys roll at? Oh, he phoned me at, like, 4 a.m. as he's passing through town. So then he gets up. What's that? That's his garage where we train. Okay, yeah. Oh, yeah. So then Doug would get up and go up and and train jujitsu at 4 in the morning because his buddy's back from tree planting. Oh, amazing. And then go back, take a nap, or do some CrossFit, and then come and tattoo all day. And then, yeah, and then leave, and then it'd be like, what are you doing tonight? He's like, radio silence, because he's working on something, and you wouldn't hear from him. You know, you'd hear about it the next day or whatever, and yeah, like your your ability to manically dedicate your time to all these different things, like, for me, would just be I would just be under an anxiety blanket and you just managed to kind of juggle all this stuff. Yeah. When and, I have, and when function. I have free time and I'm hurt is when it, it's, that's when I feel way worse. Like yeah. if I have 
bunch of shit on the go and it's stimulating me, it's I like it and it's good. If I'm hurt and can't do stuff, then I mentally start to get shattered and it's that's way harder for me. Doing nothing is terrifying and way scarier to me than having a bunch of stuff on the go and, you know, going into the next room and have some part done project that I can play with or whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. So many people get into tattooing and that's the most interesting thing they do in their life. But you know, someone like yourself has this endless amount of stuff on the go. But it helps me not get burned out, I think, because of that. And like I said, if I'm burned out on something, I just stop. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I hear you. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I got burnt out on tattooing and I quit. You know, yeah. like, I, I think that's pretty common, right? Yeah. 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 Well, was... anything that's your actual job is not very artistic in the sense that you're, you're not choosing to do this and you're not being inspired to do it. You have a schedule, you have a client, you have, you know what I mean? You can be an artistic surgeon and you're still working a pretty serious fucking job that a bunch of people rely on you. It's kind of like that, you know, it's like, so if I was doing a bunch of stuff besides that, it's so that I never got sick of doing that. You know what I mean? But before yeah, I started yeah. in Tabori and meeting Rugen, I was definitely at the point where I was like, I don't know what I'm doing and I have no direction. It's just like trying to do this stuff that I'm not comfortable with doing just because, you know, people are crazy enough to try and get me to do it. So now it's way simpler for me. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome to hear. Yeah. So uh, let's just jump around a little bit. Um, have you done many guest spots? Done no. Tattooing? I, no. I didn't think so. No. Like none. I would, I would rarely ever do conventions unless Stacy wants to travel somewhere or do something. I'm happy having my little zone. And that's why I have all the little worlds that I exist in because I'm comfortable there. And if there's people there, fine. If not, then... It's cool. And yeah, I just always felt very uncomfortable saying one more thing in the mix that the more I can make things how I hope it's going to go, the less problems will arise. And that was just out of the realm to be like, this is too risky to be prepared and do my best. I just didn't think I could do it. Yeah, you're, you're yep. definitely the first person I saw when I did the Calgary convention uh, with you that where you literally brought your everything. Whole- station like he just literally picked his station up put it in a truck and brought it and then moved everything out of the way in the booth and so he had his station exactly the way it would be at work and i was just like what the fuck he's like i I like to know what i'm doing i like to be in my thing and i was just like okay cool and there i am working over in the corner oh yeah i'm real comfortable uh i don't like that it's too stressful it's yeah. I, you know, I feel fortunate then because I, one of my fondest convention memories was, uh, or it wouldn't have been a convention. I think it was an art show in Winnipeg and going out to dinner with, uh, oh, all the usual suspects, that oh, Teppanyaki yeah. place uh, and the, and the de- oh yeah. And the uh, debauchery yeah. that went on afterwards with some Darumas and some people getting upset and closing down restaurants. That was awesome. (laughs) You were the star that night. That was so much fun. Oh, I've never seen Rich Hanford so sad in my life. Which made me so happy. When that Daruma just shattered. It was like a killed baby, man. It's like, relax. (laughs) They talked about it for two days. Just like, oh, that big smash my garuma. 
Yeah. That uh, was amazing. That was a great night. Yeah, the Just for Kick show, man, that was a fun show. Yeah, that was that, that was great. The, and the the Back to the Future show that that Clarkson put on, that was oh a, yeah, a very yeah. good show too. Props yeah. to oh, Rich Manford and Clarkson for those. Yeah, yeah, we got to do some fun shit, man. It was fun. Me and Doug, uh, we were WestJet flight companions. Yeah, for <laughs> the people. So Doug would just be like, "Hey, man, want to go to Winnipeg? Yep. Hey, sure. should we go to Regina? Yep. Hey, do you want to do this?" <laughs> Yep, <laughs> like forty bucks to go somewhere and stuff, man. Oh. That was a great time. Like, oh, we were supposed to go see at the gates in L.A., but it fell through. Yeah, yeah. So, oh man, uh, it's time. easy to fly standby as a companion in the in central Canada, but trying to get into any of the bigger city centers sucks. Yeah, yeah. I flew standby so many times and didn't get flights. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, Doug, if with not, you don't really do any outside conventions, even earlier on in your career, no real like guest spots and stuff. What's kept you, uh, what's kept you motivated and what's kept you wanting to grow? Is it your own internal drive, people that you've surrounded yourself with? Uh, I just before, want... before Ryugan. Uh, well, before that, it was just like, yeah, trying to have a group of, you know, people at the shop having a posse, same with the people I train with, you know, you want to be challenged by the people you're around and all that. And that's always got me stoked as a group of, you know, people that are kind of in the same battle that they're, even if they don't know what they're doing, they're trying to do the same thing in their own way. So, yeah. 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 That, that was the one thing coming to Calgary. I was surprised about how, um, that was kind of like the beginning of like a more open tattoo community coming out from Vancouver was definitely a little more closed and then i remember being in calgary and it's like you know james text and dave freed brought miles over because he was guest spotting and it's just like what's going on here all these people are just like visiting each other and stuff yeah. it was it was pretty it was pretty wild to see uh in calgary and then you know going out to the uh brass monkey was that what it was called what was that fucking bar and then like meeting dino and all those people and everybody just like hanging out it was like calgary in like the mid 2000s was like a convention almost every night out if you went out <clears throat> if you went out to the palomino or to some of the other like more popular bars and stuff like that yeah and everyone was totally like we'd be tattooing each other and that's the bonus of calgary was there's a ton of awesome people that you could learn stuff all the time and all those people are super open about you could just go hang out at someone's shop and watch them or get tattooed or whatever was great like yeah yeah i really it, enjoyed it. it it forced me to change my mindset a lot well i think calgary's a that city that's got historically so much money you got tons of clientele everyone's happy so competition isn't really such a issue right you know in smaller towns it's a real it's a real fucking deal yeah, for sure. Calgary's got to be the most tattooed city I think I've ever visited. Like, it gives Vancouver a run for its money for sure. Probably exceeds it by now. For sure, especially like straight sleeves and stuff like that. Like, I outlined in my first month at Bushido, like six sleeves, just like, it, you know, two weeks, boom, 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 six. I was like, what is happening here? Like, yeah, it was crazy, crazy. Lots of big work there. Lots of, yeah, being thrown around. So, do you have any apprentices right now? No. Nope. No, Willie, your last one. 
Yeah, and same. I did it like Japanese style where he just watched me and then started tattooing and it was the least amount of effort I did and got the most out of it. Same with when Kale was watching me. It's just like, yeah, you can watch me. Once you start asking better questions, I'll know that you're absorbing something. And then at some point you'll ask more and more questions and maybe you'll be actually seeing what's going on. And then you just got to start doing it. Tattoo yourself, tattooing people, and then keep watching and keep going back and forth. And it's way less stress for me and me trying to give people homework or be like, oh, here's what you got to learn. Isn't going to fucking work anyways. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. So what's uh, what's next for you? What's your net? What's on the horizon? Uh, I just want to do a bunch of bodysuits for tattooing. Like I'm lucky that I have clients that are that's their goal, which is lots of people's goal. The idea is pretty easy. The finishing it is a whole different realm. But yeah. I've got lots of people that are on board that are doing that one project to the next, finish one thing, start the next, and I think I could do that for the rest of my life because. Even if I'm super dedicated to that, I'll be doing 400 other things at the same time. So, <laughs> What's your next anyway. hobby? <laughs> yeah. What's your next hobby? Where are you yeah, going to apply yourself to next? <laughs> I'll tell you tomorrow. <laughs> no, yeah, let well, me know because I'll start at the same time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's back to rolling, so that's his new hobby now. Yeah. Oh, fuck that. So I'm, I'm studying jiu-jitsu usually every day, watching stuff and... I'm definitely nerd out on that forever. Yeah. Do you oh, have a amazing. BJJ Fanatics account? Uh, yeah, I have some stuff from uh, those guys. And then uh, Submeta, Lacklands. Oh, Lacklands. Okay. I'll DM you a little later for some. Yeah. yeah. I got lost. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, and do you have any art shows planned for 2023? Yeah. So Stu's doing a group show uh the 29th that i'm in and then i think i'm doing That's... a solo show in the fall okay yeah are you doing your solo show at bushido or at the is that Stu's new thing next? yeah yeah so it's i'm not sure yet and that's not confirmed but i said the more time i have the better i want to okay. do uh, like that i did in university i got a space when i was a tech that by the foundry you take the freight elevator down and there was this crazy small storage room that was a brick zone and i said if i clean this out can i use this for an installation so i did fill the whole space did audio for it and then put all the art in it so if i had a space that i could do something like that that i haven't been able to i'd like to do that so i'd want to do you know some kind of sound design for it and have it so that once you're in there it's like fully you know all the senses are taken by my whatever nice your nice. fucking brain yeah <laughs> It's all. <laughs> I'm afraid of what the audio is going to sound like, though. <laughs> I'll, I'll send you guys some stuff. Be like, ah. is there going to be someone <laughs> eating really close to the microphone? <laughs> yeah, just some <laughs> ASMR. Oh. <laughs> right on. Uh, Was there uh, anything you wanted to talk about? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think that. Was this as painful as you thought it was going to be? No, because I know you guys, I knew it'd be a bit better. But yeah. anytime I see my face on a screen, I try and hit the red X. And if someone FaceTimes me, I ignore it. So it was definitely yeah. uh, kind of nerve-wracking, but it's not so painful. No. I'm sitting yeah. comfortably. Perfect. Well, yeah. I'm super glad that you agreed to do this, Doug, because you know I love you, and I don't get to spend enough time with you. 
Yeah, dude, I'm super stoked to do this one. It was uh, high on my list for sure. Well, lots of I, people were bugging me about it, and I was just like, oh, I guess. And then, same, I can give uh, you guys some other people, and then it'd be good to get a bunch of people, even if no one watches it. I can watch it later, maybe. Yeah, hey, for sure. Actually, Dave, you didn't ask the world's toughest question. Oh, shit. The, we've got time. Doug, Fink, who, are your, who are your top five favorite tattooers? Oh, yeah, that'd be a really Let's hear it. Come on. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Mine changes uh, weekly. Yeah. Who's your <laughs> favorite five this week? Yeah. Mm, see, and I don't look at stuff too often. That makes me usually more confused by going on Instagram or doing any of that. Yeah. Well, that's and, the thing is they could be people from from your beginning of your career, right? Like, totally. it's like one, when I saw the ones that, that have had the most impact on you. Well, like Aaron Kane, when I had that first magazine that had his, you know, that torso with the open, you know, bars and stuff like that. Uh, Leo Zilueta, I really liked because same, it was like a full body, you know, the negative space is as important as the positive and was. I say that all the time. Yeah. And I don't think anybody believes me. So oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Back in the day, that was like. And he was doing, you know, something, any old traditional based thing is usually, it turns into almost tribal if it's done properly, because the contrasted things are the most important things. And if there's yeah. a bunch yeah. of messy shit that you can't see, it's not working. Where if someone's standing 10 feet away and they're turning and the lines that are making your eye go a certain way, all that stuff is the most important thing. Then the image doesn't matter. Yeah. When, yeah. just to just to jump into this because uh when you guys are off the podcast just go on instagram quickly piot barker piot oh. just posted this tattoo the other day the skull like evergreen kind of thing and the fucking negative space it just makes it and i was trying to show everybody and be like this negative space makes this tattoo and they're just staring at me like what? i don't get it and it's like oh, oh so I love this fucking stuff. Good. yeah so good anyway Okay, Aaron King, Leah Zaletta. Sean hmm. Hedley. <laughs> yeah, Hedley for sure. Yeah, that's probably uh, number five. Who? Hedley. He calls me Hedley. I know, I know. I was saying who? <laughs> <laughs> I miss my little ear kisses. I haven't had them for a while. Oh. <laughs> all right so is that is that five yeah that's five no. yeah i take up the last three. <laughs> oh, oh my god so think, man it's always a pleasure thank you so much for coming on so you're kind of a big deal because you are yeah. a big fucking deal say hi to safety for me the hold fast social club presents so you're kind of a big deal with your hosts, Sean Headley and Dave Allen.